0: Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. But as some of you know, we're in the middle of a series called Jesus Uncensored. And Joe's been doing a tremendously good job of leading us through different encounters that people have had with the walking, talking Jesus and how it changed their life phenomenally. And this morning we're going to continue that journey, but we're going to be looking at the story of Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb. Um, Jesus had just resurrected, and she comes there expecting to find his body, and he is gone. And that story we've entitled "The First Follower." So I'm going to ask you all to grab your Bibles, whether it is a Bible Bible or whether it's a U Version Bible. That's fine, and uh, it's 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 a fun um, so. <laughs> Uh, Monday's going no, but but UVision is a Bible, Bible, and I'm like no, this is a Bible, Bible. Um, so, so if we can turn to John 20, verse one to 18, John 20, verses one to 18 together. Just give you a moment to get there. So you guys will see we pick up um, Jesus has just been buried in the tomb. His crucifixion had just happened, and what actually had happened is it was sundown. They were preparing for, um, for uh, um, the Sabbath, and they literally had to place Jesus in the tomb, do what they could, um, but many theologians believe there wasn't enough time to even finish the preparations um, on Jesus' body when they placed him there, and now we pick up verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and she saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. Then she ran and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their homes, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and she wept. She stooped down, and she looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Now, when she'd said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, and she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom? are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher, and Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Can you try to imagine, just for a moment, what it must have been like for Mary? She comes, and she's ready to finish preparing the body of Jesus, her Savior, her teacher, the one she's followed, the one she devoted her life, everything to, is dead, and she's utterly devastated. And due to the Sabbath, Jesus' body was laid in the tomb, and many believe there wasn't time to finish preparing the body properly, and Mary comes while it's still dark, which is a show of her devotion. She wakes up. After the Sabbath, and she gets going, and she's going to the tomb. And there's not a lot of evidence that there were many other people with her. It's her. She's going because she had this love and devotion for Jesus, presumably to go finish the work she'd started before the Sabbath. And even though she'd heard him teach about the fact that he would be resurrected on the third day, her only thought, her only possibility, her only notion in her mind was that his body has been stolen. Which brings me to a question. What is faith? What is faith? What does it mean to believe in something? And this is a hard question, but today I'm going to put forth four things, and I hope they're going to create a little bit of tension in you. But faith is impossible. Faith is rational. Faith is deeply personal. And faith calls for a response faith calls for a response. As we tackle these four points, I want us to look at it from two angles. One being, what does it mean to have faith in God for your salvation? And the second point being, what does it mean to have faith in God for a situation in your life? And I want us to look at both those things today. So let's start by looking at that first point. Faith is impossible. Now, I can sense a bit of tension in some of you, even as I say it. Um, because you guys are like, no, but, but we have faith, so faith is not impossible. So, so let me finish that sentence. Faith is impossible for me to manufacture. Faith is impossible for me to manufacture. I can build up my faith. I can bolster my faith. I can hear stories. Um, but I can't create faith within myself. Now, where do we get that from? We get that from Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 10. And we're going to be reading that passage quickly together. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. And here comes the important part, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now faith is a gift. And really, the great thing about it is it's a gift we cannot give ourselves, but a gift, a true gift, is something that cannot be earned. There's no strings attached. Faith is a gift. Why? Because God deserves all the glory for our salvation. Sometimes those of you who have come to faith start to think, wow, what a good decision I made. Yay, me. Have you ever found yourself thinking that? You know, that was the best thing I ever did. It's awesome, and it was me, and, you know, it's, it's so good. Almost as if God didn't have anything to do with the decision that you took. And this is why that scripture says, lest anyone should boast. Scripture is clear that before we have ever chosen him, God has chosen us. Before I made the decision to love him, He made the decision to love me in the most significant way possible by sending his son to die in my place. So the first thing I want us to realize about faith is that God is waiting to deposit the faith into our heart. Faith in Christ and faith for our situation because it says that that is what he does. For Mary Magdalene, the scriptures are clear that she had been in a place of faithfulness. When we look at her, when we look at her life, when we start reading through the scriptures, we hear things like she had seven demons in her, Jesus drove those out, and her life after that was never the same. She had found freedom. She had found life where there was only death. And her life was transformed by it. All evidence points to the fact that she followed Jesus. She listened to his teachings. She supported his ministry. But more than that, his death so deeply grieved her that she was one of the only people that was heading to the tomb that morning. She comes at the crack of dawn. She finishes preparing the body. And when she finds the body gone, here's the strange thing for me. She does not consider for a moment that what he was teaching about his resurrection could have happened she immediately assumes that the body's been stolen. She assumes he's gone. So Mary Magdalene had come to faith. She did believe. But in the midst of the painful and heart-rending situation she was in, she had no faith that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Sometimes we are so blinded by the pain of our situation or something we're going through that we cannot see God in the midst of it. We can't remember his promises. We can't find him when we're going through that deep, dark valley experience. So which can you identify with this morning? Are you someone who's crying out here desperately, and you're sitting here this morning, and you're going, God, I want to believe. I need you to help me believe. You want to give your life to Jesus, but there are these doubts, and there are these things which stand in the way of you taking a step like that. Or maybe you're someone who has bought in. You are so in, you, you believe God, you are in it, you have given your life and, and you, you cherish your relationship with Him, but there is that one area of your life that you're struggling to trust God for. Something that, that you really need breakthrough in, something that maybe has been following you around, something that you just have no faith for this morning. Either way, whichever of those camps you might find yourself in, God is waiting for us to come to him and ask him for the faith that we need. The second thing that faith is, is it's deeply personal. It is deeply personal. Really, when we boil it down, faith is a supernatural and a personal encounter with Jesus. That's what faith is. In the scriptures, we see over and over again how Jesus comes and he meets people in the way that they need it most. And Joe was speaking about it to us a couple of weeks ago where he was speaking about Mary and Martha and how really for Martha, what she needed in that moment most was she needed a truth encounter and she needed Jesus to just come drop a truth bomb in her heart. And for Mary, what she needed most was she needed Jesus to just sit and cry and commiserate with her over the death of Lazarus. And the beautiful thing was, for each of those people, Jesus came as he needed to come. And it's no different with us. It's amazing for me how many times I've heard salvation stories, and each one is unique. Each person's meeting with Jesus is vastly different. And for some, Jesus comes and he meets them in the midst of their pain, and for others, the word convinced them of his goodness. And yet for others, Jesus reached out through people loving them, and yet for others, a miracle showed them the reality of who He is. The other night, we had our new partners evening. And at it, um, Joe was just sharing something. Um, and it's something I've heard of before, but it just stirred me as I was preparing my, my sermon for this morning. And it was the fact that for many people who are caught up in countries where, where the, the, the gospel is not readily accessible, do you know how they are reached? Many of them how are reached. They're reached by actually seeing Jesus in a dream. And I wanted to share some of that with us this morning. It's In 2007, there's a guy called Dudley Woodbury, and he published a study that recounted interviews with 750 former Muslims who had converted to evangelical Christianity. Many of these reasons they gave for their conversion could be expected. The love of God, a changing view of the Bible... An attraction to Christians who loved others. But one reason might come as a surprise. The experience of a dream that they believed to be from God. For many of these guys, they had no idea who this guy in white was that was appearing to them. And I'm going to share a couple of those stories with us now. But in um, a magazine called Mission Frontiers, they reported that out of 600 Muslim converts, 25% experienced a dream that led to their conversion. How amazing is that? So Dudley Woodbury shares the following story, and he says, A friend of mine tells of a Persian migrant who arrived at a refugee center at 6 a.m. visibly upset. He told his story to a Persian pastor. During the night, he saw someone dressed in white raise his hands and say, Stand up and follow me. And the Persian man said, Who are you? The man in white replied, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the way to heaven. No one can go to the Father except through me. And he began to ask the Persian pastor, who is this man? What am I going to do? Why did he ask me to follow him? How shall I go? Tell me. And in response, the pastor held out his Bible and he asked, have you ever seen this before? And the man said, no. Do you know what it is? He asked him and he said, no. The pastor then opened to the book of Revelation where he read to him, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The man started crying immediately and he said, how can I accept him? How can I follow him? So the pastor led him in prayer and peace came over him. The pastor then gave the man a Bible and told him to hide it since the Muslims in the camps would cause him trouble. But the man replied as follows, The Jesus that I met today, he's more powerful than the Muslims in the camp. He left an hour late, he left, and an hour later he returned with 10 Persians, and he told the pastor, "These people want a Bible. No one had to teach him an evangelical strategy." He just went out and he spoke about his encounter with Jesus. You know what? Another friend of his uh, shared the following experience. She had heard the gospel in Athens, but she struggled to believe. She really did. One day she went home despondent and she hid behind the couch in her family's apartment and she began to pray. And maybe some of us can resonate with this prayer. She went, you know what God, since I have absolutely no excuse, absolutely none, I've run out of excuses. I don't know what to do, but following you means I have to deny everything I have believed and everything all of my family generation after generation believed. I can't be in the middle. I have to either follow you or not. I can't do it myself. It's just too hard to take that step. I need you to help me. After she prayed, she didn't know whether she was awake or asleep, but a man in white walked into the room, and her reaction was to blurt out, don't come close to me. You are holy, and I am a sinner. Do not come close to me. And the man replied by calling her name and saying, I told you, and I tell you again, I am the way and the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. That day she believed the gospel and she was saved. Jesus comes and he meets us in exactly the way we need it. He comes and he meets us in the place we find ourselves and he is waiting to come and have a deeply personal encounter with us today. Mary's in the tomb. She's unable to believe that Jesus was resurrected, and she's convinced that someone has taken his body and someone has stolen her Lord. And Jesus appears to her, and she assumes he's the gardener. And isn't that just the way it is with us sometimes? In the midst of wherever we find ourselves, our doubts make us blind, or maybe it's our pain that blinds us, or the reality of how hard the situation is. How can this thing possibly ever work out? And all it takes is for him to say, Our name, Mary. When he says that, when he calls our name, we come awake. We come alive. We receive the faith that he wants to breathe into our situation. Let's watch a clip together quickly. Today, if you are here, I want you to know something, emphatically and without a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus is calling your name. If you're lost and you don't know him as your savior, he's calling out your name. And if you know him, but you feel like you've lost sight of him, he is calling out your name. And if you have a situation in your life that seems beyond redemption, he is calling out your name. Because that is what Jesus does. He breathes life into even the darkest of situations. He comes and he meets us in the muck, in the pain, in the sadness, in the joy, in the peace, in the celebration. Wherever we find ourselves, he is deeply invested in us and he encounters us in a deeply personal way. We've just spoken about the fact that faith is supernatural, and it is, and it's personal. But it's so much more than that. It is also a deeply rational thing. Faith is not believing in the impossible. It is believing in the God of the impossible. For so many of us, the reasons we struggle to believe is because our rationality takes over. Our logic tells us this cannot be You can imagine that that was Mary in that moment. The thought of someone being resurrected is so far removed from what she saw and experienced in her day to day. But there is so much compelling evidence that Jesus was so much more than just a man. If any of you look at history and you look at historical documents, there were documents outside of the Bible that spoke of who he was and what he did. He appeared to so many people after his resurrection that it became harder and harder to dispute that he had been raised from the dead. And really, furthermore, if his body had actually been stolen, let me ask you this, who would take the time to unwrap it, to leave the grave clothes there neatly, and to, to really fake this whole experience? There's so much in this story that speaks to the truth of it. Moreover, in Mary's case, what I find strange sometimes is the fact that Jesus resurrected at least three people we know of, and following him, she would have heard of that. She would have heard his own teachings, speaking of the fact that he would be resurrected in three days. There was so much evidence, and sometimes I think the problem for Mary was not believing that Jesus could raise the dead. It was the reality that if Jesus was dead, who would do the raising? So really, sometimes, even when we have faith in God, we struggle to have faith that He can redeem the situations we find ourselves in. When we start to read the Scriptures, we start to share and hear the stories that not only happened then, but they happen every single day. It begins to bolster our faith. It begins to build our faith. And with each new personal counter, with each new story, our faith grows. And you know what? After seeing Jesus resurrected, can you imagine where Mary's faith meter was? I think in that moment, she could have believed that anything was possible. So my question to each of us is this this morning. How much time have we spent thinking about what God has done in your life? I was saying to Maya um, in this week that really what, what we should be doing in our home somewhere is just creating a wall or a door or even our fridge, and just putting up every time God has answered a prayer in our life, every time God has come through, every breakthrough we've received, everything God has done in our life, everything he's done in our our friends' lives, everything that we have heard him do in this community, we need to stick up somewhere. And you know why we should do that? Because when we start to look at our hardships and the crazy situations we go through in our lives, through that lens of what God has done, what He is doing, then it changes the way I look at it. Faith stops being belief in the impossible and it becomes something that is built on rational thought and truth. So... Really, it becomes a faith built on the truth of who our God is, the God of breakthrough, the God who can resurrect or redeem even the worst of situations. I have no doubt that when Mary was at that tomb and he was gone, that was the worst. That was, that was just, God, how do we come back from this? Not only is my Lord dead, but someone stolen his body, and, and I just don't know. What is, what is the good that can come from this? And just a short while later, what you see is Jesus just going, Mary, and going, you know what, don't hold on to me, Mary. There's so much still to be done. Go and run and tell the disciples and go and share the news of what has happened here. And that's why we call her the first follower. Why? Because she was the first person to go and spread the news of the resurrection, to go and run to the disciples and tell the truth of what God has done. And that's why I say, if we can tell those stories, if in, even in this community, we can start to speak about the stuff God is doing and has done, how much can that bolster our faith when we go through a time of hardship? So the fourth thing that faith calls us to do is to respond. I want to ask you guys, um, <clears throat> sorry, it's like I'm going through puberty this morning, my voice keeps breaking. Um, I, I am that young, yes. Yes. <clears throat> But, but I want to ask you guys a question this morning. Who of you have ever declared your undying love to someone? Hey, can you raise a hand if you've done that? Hey, some of you, some of you are lying. Um, but, but who of you have ever done that? And you're like, you know what? I'm bringing you flowers or I'm just getting on a knee or I'm just smiling at you. And I'm going, I love you with my everything. And then they go, thank you. <laughs> hey? Okay, Baldi's going, yes, yes, that was I. Okay, it's happened to me as well, where someone's like, oh, that's, that's awesome. You know, it's, it's just, thank you. And um, yeah, there's nothing worse in that moment. Oh, the blow, oh, the heart-wrenching agony when someone does not respond to the love that you are giving them. And really, when we come and we speak about faith, if you know that God is calling your name, that he's filling you with faith in him, and we know the truth of who he is, then that calls for a response. And whether we've never placed our trust in Jesus as our Savior, or whether it's a situation in our lives that we're struggling to believe him for, the response looks exactly the same. And I want to posit that there are three things we can do. When we start by asking him to give us faith for that thing, That is step one. God, I don't have the belief. I don't have enough belief. Like that woman that was in Athens that had to come and say, God, I don't have it. I can't take the step. I don't have the belief. I want to believe in you, but help my unbelief. I want to take that step. Or maybe for some of us, it's that we're in that other camp where it is, you know what, God, I believe you for everyone else, but I don't believe you for me. I've seen you do it. I've seen you come through for that person's finances, but I don't think you're coming through for mine. Or I've seen you come through for that person's healing, but I just don't think you can do this. And maybe we find ourselves in that camp. And if you're in that camp, I just want to say to you today, ask for the faith you need and God will bring it to you. So that's the first thing we can do. We can ask God to give us faith. The second thing we can start to do is to doubt our doubts. We're great at doubting that God can do what he says he's going to do, or that he is who he says he is. But what would it look like for a moment if we start to doubt the doubts we have? The doubts about ourselves. How many of us are not coming to the faith, and we know people that aren't coming to the faith because they're like, you just don't know what I've done. You have no idea what my past looks like. You don't know who I am when I walk out of the doors of this church. So why on earth would God want me? Or maybe it's a performance thing and you're like, you know what, I've only done quiet time once this week. And God is not possibly going to give me breakthrough in this area of my life because I have not done enough to make him love me. And there's a problem with that. The problem with that is it's simply not true. So what would it look like for us this morning if we can start to doubt the things that we have been believing about ourselves, about God, about His breakthrough, about the situation we face for a moment and let a little bit of truth slip in? And I want to tell you, if we can have faith and if we can start to doubt our doubts, we've already taken two mightily powerful steps. But the third thing I want to ask us to do is I want to ask us to create space for personal encounters with God. And you know why? Because when we create space for those personal encounters, then it means that God can speak into our situation and he can speak truth. If you're here this morning, it's because you created space for God to come and speak into your situation, to speak into your life. You actually came and got out of bed. Well done, because God is here and he wants to speak into your heart. But we need to keep creating that space. I don't know about you, but have any of you ever had it where you see a friend and it's so great when you're with them, and after a while, let's say you haven't seen them for a month or two, you start to doubt, you know what, does this person actually like me? appreciate me, you start to doubt the friendship a little bit, and you start to doubt who the person is, you know, were they ever a friend, and then you have coffee with them, and you see them again, and again, you're like, yes, this is a friend, I know who they are, I know who they really are, and it's the same with God. The more we have those personal encounters, the more we're able to reinforce the truth of who He is for us, and what He thinks about us. For me, I look at Mary, and I look at what she did in that moment, and I look at the fact that she was the only one heading to the tomb that morning. You know what she was doing? She was creating space for an encounter. It made no sense for Jesus to appear to Mary. Why? Because in that day and age, if a woman was giving testimony, her testimony was immediately discounted. And you know why? Because apparently women... overly emotional and bring emotion into everything. And that's not my words. That is straight out of the commentary. They were like, no, but men are rational, and they're straight-laced, and they they always get the facts right. Oddly enough, in in my life, Maya is that person, and I am the crazy, overly emotional one. Um, So no, they had it a little bit wrong. But Jesus decides to appear to Mary of all people, And here she goes, and she's the first person to see him, and she has to go spread the testimony and run back and give this word to the disciples. How beautiful is that? She creates space for an encounter, and forever she becomes the first one to go and carry the gospel out and share it with the disciples. I think there's a beautiful thing that happened there. The more we encounter him, the more we allow him to call our name, the more we allow him to speak into the situations we find ourselves in the more chance there is for his truth to replace the falsehoods we believe and we live under. We don't get to choose how long our difficult seasons last, but we do get to choose what our minds dwell upon. let let that sink in for a moment. We can be going through a very rough season, a long season, whatever it might be, and we can choose in that season, are we going to be focusing on the thing or are we going to be focusing on the one That's our choice. That's something we need to decide and we need to commit to. Now, Maya and I um, have been trusting God for almost five years now for kids. We've heard that God will give us children. We've been given word about that. But after many doctor's visits and a couple of rounds of IVF and a heck of a lot of money, Um, we've come to the conclusion and realization that we may never have children of our own or biological children, as it were. Let me, my wife just pointed a finger at me. But does this change what we know to be true? Does it change what we believe God has said to us? No. Does it uh, mean that we've never been frustrated or cried or had crazy days where we're just like, God, what on earth are you doing? No, it does not mean that at all. But we've got a choice to make. We can make our infertility journey our focus. Or we can choose to focus on Jesus and trust that he has a good, good plan for us. Plan for a hope and plan for a future. Our struggles, our past, our doubts can be our focus. Or we can choose to find him in the midst of everything and to focus on him. So this morning we're going to be going into a bit of a time of ministry. And and we're going to be praying for people in this place. And really, I first want to speak to those of you who have maybe never made a decision, never made a decision to follow Jesus. And my question to you today is simply this, what would it look like to doubt your doubts and to stop listening to all the reasons the enemy is giving you for why you are not good enough, for why God is not who he says he is, and to simply ask Jesus to come and give you faith in him this morning? Is Jesus calling your name today? And if so, will you pray with me? Let's all bow our heads and pray. Just repeat after me if that's you this morning. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you that he died on the cross for me. And right now I receive your grace. I receive your love. I receive your mercy. I give you my life. Take my past and make me new. Amen. Now, if you just prayed this prayer this morning, you have made the most important decision you will ever make in your life. And we would ask you, consider after the service, just heading to the new life table there in the corner. And we've got a couple of guys that would love to just come and pray with you and to spend a bit of time with you and give you a booklet to work through. Um, But it really is huge. And if you can't stay and you've just prayed that prayer, then make sure to connect with someone this week and just tell them about your decision. Tell them what you've decided today. And now I want to speak to those of us that maybe are sitting here today and we are facing a situation it might be one, it might be many and that situation just feels impossible, you've prayed about it, you've tried to figure it out yourself, you're frustrated you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go but maybe you just have no faith that God can redeem the situation and if that's you, I'm going to ask you if you'd be willing to stand this morning If anyone finds himself in that place where maybe it's that, or maybe for some of us, we've been resurrected to new life. We have new life. Jesus is with us and he is in us, but there's still that little bit of our old self, the grave clothes that are still wrapped around us that we haven't left behind. And if that's you, I'd also ask you to stand this morning. What I'm going to ask us to do is we just pray for these guys that are standing is if you um, are seated here, that you will just stretch your hand out towards someone that's standing. That you'll just put your hand on them and, and just pray for them this morning. There's still time. If there's any of you that still just need God to come and fill you with faith this morning, would you stand? have a need for faith. And can I just ask our team, especially our crew, to just come and gather around the guys that are standing this morning. God we come before you this morning we're trusting in your mercy and your goodness Father and we bring those standing before you now and we ask you as, as family as people brothers and sisters of those that are standing would you come and would you give them the faith that they need this morning faith God that the last bit of those grave clothes that might be entangling them God can just be left behind in the tomb. Faith, God, for those situations that they are desperately trusting you for, God. Because the truth is, that is who you are. You're a God of resurrection. You are a God who brings life where there was only death. You are a God who just wants to come and breathe faith and life and hope and peace into the hard situations that we face. Would you come and do that for those standing this morning, God? And God, I really feel in my heart that there are some people that are still sitting. And I just want to pray, God, that they will not be excluded simply because they didn't stand this morning. But that for each person that is here, God, that needs an infilling of your Holy Spirit and your faith this morning, would you come and deposit that in us, God? And would you allow us to just experience that peace that comes from knowing that you have this? Would you come and pour that peace down on each person here, God? you come and spread your peace your hope your faith into us you are the God of impossible God and for each of the people standing we trust you for breakthrough because you were resurrected Jesus we can experience that same resurrection power in our lives today would you breathe life into the dead places in our lives we love you We trust you and we receive an infilling of your spirit now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.